everybody. My name is Taylor Raglan. Welcome to yet another episode of the 30-Minute Misconduct Podcast, episode number nine, the penultimate episode before we hit double digits, Billy Leroy. Um, and uh, we are going to spend this one not uh, breaking down uh, in, in super specific detail the uh, the Stars' 7-1 to one collective losses uh, on their first road trip and first back-to-back of the year. Uh, Monday, the Stars dropped a uh, contest with the Ottawa Senators by a final count of 4-1. to one. Tuesday, uh, 3-0 shutout at the hands of the New Jersey Devils, and they will come home uh, once again after some some road struggles, very reminiscent of uh, the end of last season and, and the, the miserable time that was uh, that eventually led the Stars to uh, missing the playoffs. So, um, you know, with, with some of those things bubbling up and, and some uh, some trends maybe emerging, let's, uh, what do you say, Billy, we spend this episode talking about uh, some of those trends and, and some of the hot-button issues among uh I'm sure the Stars fan base, but also the uh, the Stars themselves as of late. Well, you said it. Here we are looking at last year recurring again this season. And I was thinking about that earlier today, and I was like, you know, we spend all these months looking forward to October and the season being here. We spend so many days just longing for it to be here. And then here we are two weeks in, and we're already frustrated. Why do we do this to ourselves? I feel like we need to title this episode, Why Do We Do This to Ourselves? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's still early. I mean, you know me. I am a notoriously slow panicker, I guess, maybe. Worrier would be the word. I don't know I don't know if there is a good word for what I'm trying to say, but I'm a notoriously slow, uh, whatever the opposite of a knee-jerk uh, reaction guy is, that's probably me, whereas you trend a little bit more toward the knee-jerk side of things, I would say. But, but there's certainly some, uh, you know, six games in. Um, you know, that's, it, it's, there's a saying, uh, it, it gets late awfully early in the NHL and, and that's, uh, that could, uh, potentially be holding true here with the stars. I don't think so, but, uh, it gets, uh, gets awfully late, awfully early in this, uh, in this league for sure. If you were to rate my panic level on a scale of not panic to freaking out and pressing the panic button, I would say that I've walked into the control room. And I'm sitting there looking at the panic button. I haven't pe- I haven't pressed it yet, but I'm just sitting there thinking, pondering things, and ready to take that next step if uh, things start to go even worse over these next couple of weeks. And you, I would- think you're always ready to take that step. Personally, from having known you nearly a decade now, or, or potentially a decade, I think you're pretty much always ready to take that step. We uh, the oh. stars could have started the year like like five and one. And had that game that they had uh, Tuesday, and you still probably been like, man, this thing is all about to just crumble. This is all falling apart. Well, you have to understand that as a someone who grew up as a Florida Panthers fan and has now moved here to Dallas to become a Dallas Stars fan, I have not had a lot of success in my career as a fan. And I am ready for some, some finally some glimmers of hope to give me some, you know, uh, some rewards for all this time I put into these terrible teams over the years. Well, I guess on that very depressing note, um, first I will apologize for you ever having to be a Panthers fan. I don't know if I've done that lately, but I'll go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. My my weekly apology for uh, for you having to go through that uh, as a as a little child version of yourself. Um, but I guess we should move in. I mean, we got we got potentially four or five things we want to get to today that you know have have come up. There are little things maybe in the game, but and a couple bigger ones, but just things that have that have kind of been the topic of conversation. Uh, a couple days off, we'll do that. Stars don't take the ice again until Friday at home against Minnesota. So, um, you know, among the fans and the team and the reporters, pretty much everybody, when you have a couple of days to, to kind of ruminate on 
um, you know, a, a road trip that bad, you know, things are going to happen and, and, and um, there's going to be some, some overwhelming topics of discussion. And I know the first one that, you know, man, it feels like a weekly conversation, if not a, an episode by episode conversation, but um, I know where you stand, but, but why don't you, uh, why don't you just tell the folks how you're, uh, how you're holding up on the depth scoring front for the stars? Well, yes, it is. It's getting pretty hard to enjoy these games when you know that there's only three or four guys that are going to score. Um, but you had mentioned to us that your definition for deciding how this season's going to turn out is just waiting for that first game in which Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, or Alexander Radulov don't score. And they made sure to put that on full display for you over these last two nights. Um, the only lone goal being scored by John Klingberg. So... I'm starting to get a little bit worried, and I mean, we've said there's some promising sights. You had a nice carrot goal on Saturday, and Spezza had a couple of glorious chances last night that he should have capitalized on. Um, But with that being said, where are you? You said you're going to wait until the first game in which the top line doesn't score to start thinking about things, and here it is. So where are you? Where's your head at right now? I still think you know as as much as I talk about you know or or have talked about waiting for that game, and and certainly it's kind of this road trip. I think in general um, was I mean it was all it was all bad. Not much good to come out of that road trip, you know, in any capacity. But but certainly not on the depth scoring front. Um, at all, and and I guess I've moved the needle a little bit uh, more toward worrying about it. I'm uh, like I said, I'm a notoriously slow uh, worrier, um, and I think the thing for me is that when you look at the Stars roster, because there's a lot of people that want them to try to convert. I mean, I think they have less than two million dollars of cap space right now, and and there's a there's definitely a segment of fans, and I'm not saying I don't understand um, this line of thought. It's not that I don't understand where where these people are coming from, but I think there's a segment of fans that already kind of wants the stars to to try to convert that tiny little amount of cap space they have into, you know, another depth piece to to fix the scoring. And and I don't think, first of all, that that one guy is is what's what's not making this happen right now. Uh, I don't think that the the stars are one third line winger um, away from from all of a sudden you know, their, their second through fourth lines being able to score goals. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's true. Um, just like I wouldn't say that it's true that, you know, if, if, um, you know, the top line wasn't scoring or, or the, the two through four lines were scoring, you know, even six games isn't super indicative of, of long-term trends, especially when there's so much change. Uh, you look at Jim Montgomery coming in and, and them still adapting. I think there was a lot of a lot of optimism early on about how the team had kind of adapted to his system just because there was some early success, but it's still a really long process and it's still a really, uh, a really grueling process to try to bring the same effort in the same system and, and playing within the same system night in and night out. But I mean, just looking at the stars roster, you look at names like, you know, Fox, I would even consider not a, not a, a true third or fourth line depth guy, but depth scoring, uh, Jason Dickinson, I've really liked, um, Nichushkin when he's been in there, I've, I've really liked Pitlick. I really liked, um, you know, Brett Ritchie is, is maybe taking on a little bit more of a physical lean, but, but has potential showed that he can do it at the NHL level and, and will try to return Devin Shore, uh, guy I really like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to look at the stars roster and say that there's much better for, for the amount of the amount of money that they have under the cap. And, and the moves that they could potentially make, it's really hard to look at that collection of guys, Yanmark, 
Pitlick, Natushkin, um, Shore, Foxa, Hentz, Dickinson, Como even, even though he's been playing up in the top line some, it's hard to look at that collection of guys and feel like it's not coming at some point. Is it, you know what I mean? Like It's hard to look at that roster and think that A, there's significantly better, and, and B, um, uh, well, I should add the caveat that I mean significantly better and achievable. Of course, there's better, uh, but also achievable under these circumstances. And, and B, that this group as assembled can't get it done, because I, I don't think that's true. Well, the thing for me is that you can't, it's not fair to analyze just these last six games because this dates back a lot longer than that. This is year six of the five-year Jim Nail plan, and we're seeing some of the same problems from last season. And it's frustrating because they bring in a new coach, they bring in a couple new players, they try to shake things up, and we're seeing the same old, same old. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you do and who you would even get. I, I was on. I mean, I was always a big fan of possibly trading Honka to pick up somebody just because not because I don't like Honka and I don't want him here but based on the fact that they give him no respect and give him no playing time I'm like you might as well make something out of that while you have it yeah and it's getting to be a little concerning that you know we're on Honka's third NHL coach and we're on his third NHL coach that that apparently doesn't see what the fans and free Honka movement uh think they see all the time at least uh at least 100% of the time he he's not kind of bringing what what maybe he is uh what he can potentially but I don't know man it's it's hard to at the same time because you know you talk about having you know entered the 6 year of his 5 year plan or however you want to phrase it but you look at that and and sure there's there's some continuity in the things that are wrong um but at the same time it's it's very hard to judge Jim Montgomery and his system and its potential success with this group on six games, because as much as this franchise has had down years um, and hasn't made the playoffs in, in a handful of years and hasn't, you know, been as solid defensively as it could have been and hasn't grown its own players and ha- whatever you want to say, as much as that's been a trend on the whole for the franchise, it's still very hard to expect Jim Montgomery to come in and everything immediately be perfect, the system immediately work. Everybody too, because I think the players have bought in. I don't think the buy-in is the issue. I think it's the the execution um, of, of the kind of game that he wants to play, and and it's hard to it's hard to make a call on that after six games, even when things look dire. And and I I think that you know at the end of the day they're three and three, um, two games on the road. The the first two on the road, you know, you got thirty nine left, so. You know, if you get to ten games on the road and you're three and seven, then that's that's a very serious issue and a very serious trend. Um, but but for now, I I just man, I mean I mean maybe it's a fault of mine that I'm so notoriously slow um, to to worry about that sort of thing, especially in a long season. Maybe it's a, a product of you know playing baseball my whole life and following baseball and having that be kind of my my main sport um, other than hockey. You know that I'm just so used to the marathon, not the sprint. Um, but but for me, I think it's still just it's just too early, and I think that I think that it's 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 unfair to say at least at this point that the depth scoring can't come from this lineup because I think it can. None of this certainly does not fall on the defense or Jim Montgomery. It really just falls on you know offensive lines two through four, and. It's really simple when you look at it, especially with the road struggles, because you realize that 
the reason why this is happening is because the fact that the home team gets last change. So as soon as the Stars put out the Ben, Sagan, Radulov line, the home team has the opportunity to decide who they think is the best matchup for that. And then they really don't even have to worry about lines two through four just because they know those guys are struggling. So, I mean, I don't... The, the question that I think that's on every Stars fan's mind is how long do you wait? Because we heard last season, let's wait until 25 games in to decide how this is going to go. It's a new system, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, these guys are NHL players. They should be quickly adaptable. How long do you wait until you finally make a move? It seems like Jim Neal has been waiting a lot over these last couple of years just with the idea that these players are going to finally figure it out. But at what point do you finally decide, well, hey, you know, we've gave these guys three years to get their act together and figure out how to score in the NHL, but it's come to that point where we have to look elsewhere for some offensive help. I mean, if you're asking me, I think it's a very complicated question because of some of the things I've already said. I mean, at a certain point, once you get into the season, you're kind of, you kind of got what you got. I mean, trades are always an option. Um, but like I said, the stars are a little bit hamstrung with cap space. Uh, they're paying a lot of guys and they, they, it's, you know, it's, it's tying up, uh, money and some top end talent, which you have to have. But, but at that point it becomes, um, and Heike said similarly in, in an article that I saw getting, you know, discussed a lot, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to pay the top end that much and, and have that kind of talent on the top line, um, and the top defensive pair at that too, with, with Klingberg making, you know, it was a very favorable, favorable deal, I think for the stars for Klingberg, but it's still a, a significant portion of, of, uh, the team's cap. And, and I think that, you know, you're a little hamstrung with what you can do. Um, I don't hate the idea of, of trading Honka. Honestly, I don't, um, I'd, I'd be open to it depending on what the return would be. But at the same time, I mean, I haven't gone through, and and looked at, at what might be available out there, but you know, I I I have confidence that that Val Nichushkin and Tyler Pitlick and Devin Shore and Roddick Foxa, I mean, just those four guys, you know, Yanmark, who had a great year last year, I thought, hence who who has shown some real promise and and uh, could continue to settle in if he gets some more playing time. Uh, Smith comes in and brings energy every single time. I have confidence in that group of six or seven guys that that the scoring can come and and it's it hasn't and that's that's undeniable that's not something that you know obviously can even be argued at this point because it hasn't come but at the same time it's it's hard for me to look at that collection of guys and and blame uh Jim Nill for thinking that depth scoring can come from that mix because I I think it can I think the bottom line for me is that I think it can um but you know at the same time it's a results-oriented league. It's it's what have you done for me lately, and, and lately it, it hasn't. So, I mean, it, I don't know what the deadline is. I'm not an NHL GM, and, and I'm not Jim Nill, who, you know, has overall a, a pretty good track record in his career um, it, making management decisions. So, you know, it's 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 going to be up to him to, to kind of be on the pulse of the team and, and feel it out and see if there's a move to be made. I think he's always, you know, willing um, but it, I don't think there's a drop dead date. I don't think there's an easy cut line. Um, and, it, and it's made even harder when, you know, you get frustrated by looking at your roster and, and kind of thinking to yourself, why the hell isn't, aren't they, aren't these guys scoring? Why, why aren't these guys doing what I really feel like they can do? So I, I don't know, man. I don't know. And, you know, it's all very apparent to us that the stars have a depth scoring issue, but it got me wondering 
what is the expectation for how many guys in your team should be able to score at this point of the season? So I did a little bit of research. You know, I pulled out my stats, my stats book, and I looked at the three teams that are supposed to finish ahead of Dallas, according to the experts, which are Winnipeg, Nashville, and St. Louis. And then I also threw in Toronto just for the fun of it, just to see at this point how many guys on their teams have scored. And I'm going to let you guess this order. So we have the first, it is the most. Who do you think out of those teams has the most depth scoring so far? Man, what were the th- so St. Louis, Toronto, Winnipeg and Nashville? That's my that's, th- that's my that's my uh my quartet to choose from. That's your multiple choice answer question. Man, I mean the easy thing to say would be Toronto just cuz it feels like they score 9 every night, but but a lot of that comes from from up top um for them as well and and hasn't proved to be a problem, but um man, I don't know. I mean Maybe Winnipeg. I mean, they strike me as a team that that plays real heavy on the puck and and can run um, some really solid three to four lines. Um, and and it always feels like you know the offense is is coming from up and down the lineup over there. I mean, Line A is obviously a, an incredible talent, but on the whole, I feel like uh, feel like they uh, do a pretty good job of spreading it around. So I don't know. Hey, Winnipeg. Well, you are incorrect. We're we're, we're pressing the the incorrect answer. Well, first off, Dallas has seven, so that's your your benchmark. The most is Nashville at twelve. They have twelve players who have scored. Yeah, I mean, same logic for them, I'd say, as Winnipeg. It, I kind of feel the same way about those two teams. I think Winnipeg's a better hockey team on the whole, but they go about the game in, in similar ways. They're they're big and heavy, and and not really dominated by a uh, a Radulov Ben Sagan line. I mean, not many teams necessarily are. So, but yeah, that makes sense to me. Toronto has 10, St. Louis has 9, and then your answer A is actually the lowest, which is Winnipeg at 8. Who would have thought? I mean, even Winnipeg is down there with the Stars, but I don't think they've had the best start either. No, they haven't. They certainly haven't. I mean, they, they, they've underperformed a little bit for, for how good I think that hockey team is. But, man, Toronto with 10, that seems like just a function of we score 10 every night. Well, and, you know, they're helped out by the fact that Matthews has, like, 10 goals and Tavares has, like, 8 goals. So, I mean, they're kind of in the same situation as the Stars where they've got a couple of guys carrying the load, but they still figured out a way to divide that offense up amongst 10 players. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I feel like we could we could go all day on this topic, and, and I know that, you know, those of you out there listening probably have your own opinions. So feel free to let us know for sure. I know everybody's kind of got their own. Everybody kind of falls into one of two general camps, either uh, hold steady or, or blow it up and figure out a way to score depth, uh, depth goals. But, um, you know, there, there are some other interesting things and, and moments from the road trip aside from just the two beatings the Stars took that were – you know, pretty just, you know, pretty, pretty bad overall. Not a lot to say about them generally, but um, some, some pretty weird moments. The, the first of which for me, I didn't get to see it live. Um, but the, uh, the Hudobin stick incident, man, it's, it's something that doesn't come up a ton uh, for goalies. They'll lose their stick, but, but to have it break that way and, and have everything that happened happen on, on the way that play developed was, uh, well, let's just call it interesting. What is it with these goalies and being so dramatic? Like, they're always the most dramatic people on the ice. Whenever a guy skates by in his jersey or the wind from his jersey happens to hit the goalie, the guy will 
want a call. He wants a goaltender interference call. And then the Hudobin incident last night reminded me of the Tuka Rask incident from last playoffs or the playoffs before that where his skate broke during the middle of play. And he was absolutely freaking out, expecting the ref to blow the whistle simply because his skate wasn't working. And then I think it was Tampa scored on Rask and he was irate. This reminded me of that because here you've got Hudobin, his stick broke in half. And according to the rulebook, you can continue playing with a broken stick if you're a goalie. But 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 Hudobin said that his stick, the way it broke, it wouldn't have been serviceable to him at all. So he's waving his arms, flapping his arms, trying to get the bench to get him a stick. I guess he wanted like the equipment coach to run out there on the ice and hand him a stick. I'm not sure what the thought process was. But while he's freaking out and going crazy, they take it in and score on his glove side. So he wouldn't even have needed the the uh, stick to begin with yeah and and it's interesting too because there's a couple weird things at play you know one is like you said you can continue to play with the broken stick if you're the goalie but I I I kind of see his point I mean that thing was laying in two pieces on the ice (laughs) two or three feet away from him after he threw it so you know not a lot of opportunity for that thing to to do much um he could also be handed a player stick which is weird for a goalie um, but it's always an option if if it's that dire and you really feel like you need to be able to handle the puck. That's you know that's an option. Uh, and then it is legal for them to bring him a goalie stick. Um, it, so I mean, I guess that was his thought process was to try to get their attention and and have somebody um, you know bring him a goalie stick. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the stars looked in control of that puck. <laughs> like the stick was broken, laying on the ice. Um, the stars were in control of the puck behind the net. You know, looking for a change and a breakout. And, and and started the breakout and turned it over right outside their own blue line. Um, and that's where it all went to hell. I mean, it, it came right back in, uh, uncontested shot, right over the glove. He was all out of sorts. So there's fault in a lot of areas. He should have been more composed. Um, you know, he should have realized that, that play wasn't going to stop and there's nothing he really could have done about it uh, until a whistle or, or until somebody brought him a stick. Um, somebody could have uh, given him a stick and then gone to the bench for... Um, another another player stick could have been an option, um, but but at the end of the day, I think the reason for that goal was was the terrible turnover. I mean, they get the they get the puck right outside the Stars' blue line. Everybody's going crazy because we think we're in transition. Hood opens screaming, yelling, and, and everything's all out of sorts. And then before you know it, the puck's in the back of the net. So there's blame all over. And to Hood Open's credit, he did come out and say that you know he shouldn't have reacted the way he did. Um, it, it was it was. Uh, not the the best way to handle the situation, and definitely took him out of out of the game, and and probably resulted in in a pretty weak goal uh, up above the glove. Not that it was a bad shot, but I think it was you know stoppable certainly. But just a weird just a weird scenario, man. Just a, a weird thing, and, and handled pretty poorly, I think, on all ends. You know, definitely not least of all <laughs> was was the turnover that was uh, pretty egregious, and and probably deserved to end up in a goal anyway. It was just really weird, and I mean, I've never played hockey, I've never played goalie, but I've always, whenever a, a goalie loses his stick and the announcers are like, oh my god, he's lost his stick, I've never understood why that's so significant. I understand that it's significant for if the guy is trying to control the puck or get the puck out of the zone, but as far as making a save, how often do you see a puck go off a stick? I mean, it's not that often, so... I mean, uh, it's a, for me, my best guess would be that it's a comfort thing, too, like, I mean, it's it's even if you're making a blocker save or a glove save or a pad save or, or whatever you're actually using to make the save, the stick is an integral part of, of the way you move. 
the way you control rebounds, um, obviously the way you handle the puck, but I think it's just a, I think it's just a comfort thing. Like, I mean, I played baseball all the way through, you know, my first couple of years of college and, and had you run me out there to play first base defensively without a hat, does that affect my ability to play first? Probably not. What I fear, what I feel weird as hell Certainly. And and that wouldn't even affect my way, my, my positioning or my ability to move. Whereas these guys, I mean, it's just an extension of, of them and an extension of, you know, the, the tools and utensils they have to stop the puck. And when you take it away, it's not necessarily that, you know, it's 100% critical on every shot. I don't think. I think it's the fact that it's just like, it's such a part of how they prepare, how they move, you know, the positions that they get in and, and, and how they you know, place their stick and, and all that sort of thing that, you know, it's it's less about, you know, crap, I cannot, I literally cannot make a save now because I don't have my stick. It's more about I'm very uncomfortable because something is, is severely off um, with the way that I do things and the way that, that I typically feel. And that can kind of, you know, it's a very mental thing, um, you know, playing goalie in, in this league. And, and I think that it's it's much more about that than any imminent, you know, crap, now I can't make a stick save. That's a good point, and it's a good comparison. Because as you're saying that, I was thinking about being a pitcher, and pitchers rarely have to make any fielding plays, but I was thinking about if I didn't have my glove as a pitcher and I'm trying to go through the windup, it would just be very strange. Yeah, because, I mean, all you have to do is catch it. 99% of the time, the only time you use your glove is to catch the ball coming back from the pitcher, or, I mean, from the catcher. I mean, maybe a grounder a game sometimes, and even that feels like a lot. I mean, pitchers aren't expected um, to do a lot other than, you know, field the occasional bunt or, or the occasional comebacker, um, especially unathletic ones like you. But if you didn't have a glove when, when you were going through your windup, then, I, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, I would know what to do, but it would feel extremely weird, and I think you'd feel, you know, pretty naked to some extent. And I think that's what you know, who Dobin's issue was. It wasn't that, you know, I, I've lost, this is my kryptonite. I've lost my superpowers. Uh, you know, I just, you know, Samson just had his hair cut off. It's, it's more, I feel very out of place and very fish out of water and, and it's going to affect my overall approach to this right now, I think. Well, I don't think we needed to include the unathletic comment, but that's just me. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd even notice. I just, I just uh, skimmed yeah. right over the top of it. I had to get it in, but I just skimmed right over the top of it. Yeah, I caught that. But the bottom line with all of this is that the issue could have easily been remedied if they had just iced the puck and got him a new stick. But they didn't, and it's in the past. So, But then the other weird moment from the game that I noticed that I had never seen before was the Taylor Hall delay of game penalty where the Devils were about to go on the power play and they still had the puck for the 5-on-3 with the extra attacker out there. And rather than just letting the Stars touch the puck and finish the play, Hall just kind of flipped it into the Devils' bench. And they called him for delay of game, which was strange because typically you have to clear it completely over the glass for a delay of game. It was the first time. It was the first time I had ever seen that, and I think a lot of people said it was the first time they'd ever seen that. I mean, for me, I would think that it it has to do obviously with the intent, because I mean, as I I've been on record on this podcast already saying that I think delay of game is is the stupidest penalty in hockey because ninety nine percent of the time guys aren't intentionally you know, sending the puck into the stands, it happens on accident in, in milliseconds when you're reacting to a game that moves, you know, extremely quickly. But in this case, this is the kind of penalty that I would want enforced as a delay of game penalty. I would want the referees to have more, you know, leeway for, for their own personal judgment and say that guy, literally his intent 
was to, you know, affect the game by doing this, by sending the puck out of play. And, and like you said, it's as easy as just pass it to somebody on the Stars. Just leave it there. As soon as the Stars pick it up, like, and, and even, they don't even have to pick it up because they will also blow the whistle, you know, if the Stars are just standing there staring at it and not progressing the play at all. They'll, they'll blow the whistle for that, too. There, there's literally so many avenues to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, and, and he picked the worst one. Like, he just, I, I don't know if it was just a brain fart or if he thought that he wouldn't get called because it didn't go over the glass. I, I don't know what it was, but, but I am glad the referees have that leeway to say, like, no, you can't do that, dummy. Like, you can't, you can't purposefully send the puck out of play for any reason. It, like just because you think that you know it's going to advance because I mean it is an advantage if you're about to get a five on three and you could just say hey hey look at me a hand pass or hey I uh, I sent the puck in my own bench we need that five on three like right this second of course that's an advantage you want every second you can get a five on three so you know delay of game I will maintain is the stupidest penalty in hockey just for the way that you know it it has to be enforced like I remember gosh who was it was it Brendan Dillon when he was here that. The Stars were in their own end, and he sent that puck almost 200 feet into the netting behind the opposing goal and got a delay a game penalty. Because it went, I mean, it by the book, it's delay a game. But it was the craziest, the craziest non-penalty, and that just forever cemented in my head. You know, I already thought it was a dumb penalty, but but that just forever made me even think less of it because that that was just such a weird moment and such a weird thing to have happen. But, you know, I... I Hey, I'm on board with that kind of penalty. Even if it goes against the stars, you can't can't do that. You can't get you know an advantage that way by purposefully putting the puck out of play. The refs need to have more discretion when it comes to things like that. Because you're right. I mean it it would really help things out because it makes a lot more sense to call something like that versus the guy trying to bank it off the glass and out, who's clearly not trying to shoot it out of play. But my question is, I don't understand why they were so why Hall was so afraid of allowing the stars to touch the puck like if anything he could have just if he was that afraid he could have skated it back I guess there's no goal in the net but I mean I guess yeah the only way to stop that play would have been to either have the stars touch it or flip it out of play so I don't understand why he was so afraid of the stars touching the puck like it's a game of hot potato or something yeah and the only way that that it can literally go catastrophically wrong is if you go and put it in your own net which is not going to happen so just like just leave it alone. Just do what everyone does. I mean, I I think he he probably just brain farted. I mean, that would be my only explanation. I think he just uh, he had a momentary lapse of judgment. Let's put it the the polite way: momentary lapse of judgment. Um, let's see, Billy. We are we are getting close on time, but I know there's a couple other things we want to touch on briefly. Um, we can start with with the Jamie Ben fight. You know how you're a guy that that has been critical of Jamie Ben in the past. Um, you know, how do you feel when, when he fights like that, you know, both from uh, kind of a momentum standpoint or a frustration standpoint and from the standpoint of it's certainly not the, the best strategic <laughs> move for the stars uh, to put a guy that makes almost $10 million a year in the penalty box when you're when you're down. So how did you feel about that? And then I guess we can also touch on, uh, you know, quickly before we uh, before we wrap this episode up, uh, pulling the goalie early. But I guess we'll start with the uh, with the Ben fight. What would you make of it? Uh, well, first off, I want to say hello, whoever just arrived in your garage that I just heard opening. <laughs> and secondly, I, you know, fighting for me, I see it from the old school perspective and the new school perspective. The old school perspective, I think, applies for situations after a big hit. I still enjoy seeing a guy step up for his teammate when some guy just got annihilated. 
But in this situation, I completely fall in line with the new school mentality. Stars are down 3 nothing, and their captain, Jamie Benn, one of the only three guys, one of the three forwards who can actually score at this point, decides to drop the gloves with basically an irrelevant Devils player, one of the bottom six guys. And now he's out for five minutes while the Stars are trying to somehow magically score three goals in the last minutes of the period. And... You know, I would much rather see Jamie Benn out there on the ice trying to score a goal. And I also get frustrated because I don't like the, the mentality of, well, Jamie's so frustrated with the way the team is playing, he's going to go beat somebody's, you know, beat their, beat their brains in. And it was a good fight. Like, you could tell he was really angry and he was really going after the guy. But I'm like, use that aggression to score a goal. Like, instead of saying, yeah, but I'm like, People were like, oh, man, you know, oh, captain, my captain, leads by example. If you're going to lead by example, you should have used that aggression to score a goal or two and get us back in this game. I don't know what being in the penalty box for five minutes does to help this game. And clearly it didn't. I think there's a lot of factors. I think you hit on, you know, two of them that are big for me. One is is what's the situation in the game? You know, if you're down 6 nothing or 6-1 with four minutes left and you really feel like you got to fight, like, okay, you know, the odds of scoring five goals in the last four or five minutes, not super high. Not Probably not going to happen. So so that's a little bit of a different situation. But especially for this team, 3 nothing is not insurmountable. And and it certainly becomes more so when you put Jamie Benn in, in the box. Like, it, it, it's, it's you put your captain, the, 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 the potential scoring leader of your team every year, depending. I mean, Sagan probably just just for the the pure volume. But, you know, you put that kind of talent in the box, you're certainly not going to overcome a, a 3 nothing deficit. So I don't know exactly where you draw that line uh, between, you know, what may be a winnable game um, and, and what wouldn't be and, and how you want to define that. But I think that everybody knows it when they see it. And that was certainly one that was likely over, but but the door was still open. And, and I think you shut it all the way when, when you fight that way. And then the other factor is, you know, who are you fighting? Like, like you said, I mean, every time a, a depth winger can get Jamie Benn to go late in a game that's that's still relatively close, that's a win. You did your entire job for the night. You know what? We're up three nothing. You just put Jamie Benn in the box for five minutes. You play like ten minutes a game. You did great, man. You you had a fantastic night. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a clear win for the other team, and and it just kind of I think took the stars took the stars out of the game so and what is it and what does it accomplish i mean i know that fighting has a big deal to get the crowd involved and get them fired up but fighting after a big hit sends a message to the other team when you're fighting to try to overcome a comeback i don't know exactly what that does for the team i doubt these millionaire players are sitting there on the bench like yeah like i'm so inspired now jamie ben just fought for me like they're gonna be inspired when it's three to one and they're like all right here we go we got a chance that's gonna get them inspired and motivated to get this game tied not some fight that has no impact on the score it didn't make the score three to one or three to two it was still three nothing after that fight Speaking of not having an impact on the score, let me uh, smoothly segue into our last topic, and we'll wrap it up here pretty quickly. But um, the Stars pulled the goalie over the road trip with like more than seven minutes remaining, which I personally really, really love because you know if you look at the numbers, you know I'm looking at a study right here um, that says you know with if you pull the goalie anytime you're trailing by any number of goals, as soon as there is less than three minutes left, you on average for an average team gain a point on the season and as close as some of these playoff races can be 
all those points matter. So if you if I gave you the deal of, okay, all you got to do is when you're down, pull the goalie at three minutes. As soon as the clock hits three minutes, pull him, and, and you will get a point tacked on to the end of your, end of your season standings. I would take that every single time for that extra point. So why wouldn't you do that? And then if you're even more aggressive, you know, those numbers can go up to a point and a half, potentially two points for a good team over the course of the season. And we've seen around here in Dallas enough uh, narrow misses of the playoffs, narrow, you know, getting into the playoffs that that one or two points can really, really matter uh, when it comes to seeding, when it comes to even making the cut and getting into the playoffs and, and all of that stuff. And and I think, you know, Montgomery's decision to pull Ben Bishop with more than seven minutes remaining is just an extension of that. If you have a favorable offensive zone draw, you know, you feel like you have the right guys on the ice, you feel like you have good matchups, why the hell not? Because this is my question. I want you to answer my question. Here's your, you gave me my trivia question tonight, here's yours. How many points... Do you get if you lose a hockey game by three goals in your standings? How many points do you get if you lose in regulation? Well, let me uh, let me pull up my calculator real quick, and I think the answer is zero. I think the uh, the one carries over, then it's zero. 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 It's zero. You get no points. So go try to win the hockey game. Pull the goalie. Go try to win the hockey game. I want to see the goalie pulled, you know, three and a half minutes or so left, especially if you're down by one goal. Go get the goal and give yourself some time and and figure it out. But, you know, it becomes even more imperative, potentially, depending on how you view it. You're down by two with three and a half minutes left. Why is your goalie still in the net if you have the opportunity? That's That's kind of how I feel about it. I'll let you... Give your closing thoughts as as we wrap up here. Well, and especially if you're the Dallas Stars. Maybe other teams that don't have a really solid top line, you you don't want to risk it so early. But you look at the Stars, their top line alone, five on five, they're good. And then look at the power play. The Stars have the best power play in the league right now. Why would you not take that risk knowing that the Stars have been scoring every other power play? There's a pretty good chance they're going to figure out a way to score uh, with the empty, uh, with the the net pull or the goalie pulled and the extra attacker on the ice, so I say, go for it, and and so we saw it on was it uh, what game was it where it was four and a half minutes left? That was the first time we saw this. Yeah, something like that, and that was about after the seven and a half. He went back in and then came back out again with you know with a little over four minutes left. So definitely a trend right, that I Toronto appreciate. Game. But anyway, we got to get going. The the next home game is going to be Friday night. And it's a big one because it is a nationally broadcasted game, which means everybody needs to be, you know, looking their best for the national audience and wearing victory green, being loud and proud. And they're playing the Minnesota Wild. Absolutely. A a big one. Our only NBCSN game, I think, of the season. Um, And we will be back on Sunday to talk about that one. And also uh, for our 10th episode on Sunday, we will be debuting some uh, some crazy off-the-wall awards that we've been working on. I believe they may even change every week. Who knows? We're, we're crazy around here. But um, you can look out for that on Sunday's episode. Uh, until then, have fun at the game. If you go Friday, uh, show out well for the national audience. Uh, hopefully the Stars can get a win uh, in front of the national audience. And we will be back with you guys for our first double-digit episode on Sunday. <laughs>